folks, I'm Wound Care Karen. I love being a nurse and I have a passion for wound care. I want to inspire nurses, educate patients, and have a little fun along the way. Today is our first episode and we are going to talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. My guest plays Thor, the god of thunder himself, straight from the MCU universe, introducing Chris Hemsworth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry? What? He can't make it? Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, well this is my first podcast. Uh, there was bound to be a few hiccups. Okay. Um, hang on. I've got an idea. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm proud to introduce my first guest, my co-worker, Patrick Escamilla. He stopped by to wish me well on my first recording, and it seems he's willing to help a girl out. Thank you so much, Patrick. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, I just, you know, thought I was going to help produce this thing and meet Chris and get some autographs, but oh well. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for being so understanding. So let me introduce you to our audience. Patrick Escamilla, you are an LVN. That means you're a licensed vocational nurse in the state of Texas. You are a CHT, that's Certified Hyperbaric Technologist. Okay, that tells me that you took extra training, you took a very big test, and every year you keep up on continuing education to maintain that certification. Awesome. You're also a CWCA, a Certified Wound Care Associate. Okay, that tells me that you also took more training in wound care, you have experience, you took another big test, and every year you maintain extra education in wound care. Is that about right? Okay. Wow, lots of letters. That's impressive. So you were one of the first people I met when I moved to San Antonio in 2005. Yes. <laughs> we were taking our introductory course in hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So let's just start off. Can you please explain hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Yes. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is where doctors use oxygen as a medicine. So usually when we think of oxygen, we think of, oh yeah, you know, that's the air that we breathe and blah, blah, blah. But it can actually be used as a medicine in concentrated forms. So right now, all of us, if you're just minding your own business, it, you know, listening to this podcast in your room, you are breathing 21% oxygen and you're breathing 78% nitrogen and less than 1% of all the other gases combined. So that's crazy. I didn't know that. I, I was, I thought, oh, it's 80% oxygen, you know, until we started studying until I found this out. And that's the way it is throughout the world. That's just the mixture of air. That's all the gases combined is quote unquote air. Mm -hmm. So hyperbaric oxygen therapy is when they put a patient in a chamber and they compress that patient with 100% oxygen. So now we're using it as a drug as a therapy. And so there's two types of, of hyperbaric chambers. Uh, the first one is a monoplace chamber, and that's where you put one person inside the chamber, you shut the door, lock it, and you compress them with 100% oxygen. Then you have 
what's called a multiplace chamber, and that's a little bit bigger chamber. Uh, the monoplace chambers are usually, oh, I don't know, they're probably about 10 feet long. They're maybe about four feet in diameter. Um, there's usually a acrylic uh, shell that goes around, so you can see uh, around you, pretty much you, your, your view is not so obstructed. Uh, there are some monoplace chambers, however, that look more like uh, a steel bullet, if you would, would you know, and... Um, there, there's little portholes that you can look at, but most of the chambers here in the United States, at least, are the monoplace chambers have this acrylic, so you can see outside, you can see all around you pretty much. Uh, then you have another type of chamber, which is called a multiplace chamber, and that's more of the Nautilus type of thing, you know, when you see submarines and what, when you envision like a hyperbaric chamber, it's a big metal room uh, capsule you can fit four people up to about 12 people in this room in this big chamber there's big clanky doors you can walk in uh, patients that get in there they can either lie down or they can sit down or stand up in there there's there's usually plenty of room in there and uh, those chambers are compressed with air so you're getting compressed with 21% oxygen, 78% nitrogen. The trick to that is though, you have to put a like a, a hood over your head or a mask on your face that's going to deliver 100% oxygen under pressure. So the kind of the way it works is we pressurize a patient in a chamber and under certain amount of pressure, the oxygen molecules start to infect fuse into the bloodstream into the plasma or the water part of the bloodstream so why do hyperbarics what's what's the big deal why yeah. can't you just what? put a oxygen mask on and breathe oxygen like right. you know why would why isn't that the same because there's some uh, physiological attributes to putting someone in a chamber and compressing them with pressure to force the oxygen molecules into the bloodstream. So the way the body works is, the way you breathe, the way you live, is that when we breathe in air, we breathe in oxygen molecules. They go mm -hmm. into our lungs, and they go into little sacs called alveoli. There's little tiny capillary blood vessels in there. The oxygen gets filtered into the bloodstream, into those capillaries. And then you're, we have red blood cells mm -hmm. in our body. And the red blood cells act like little roller coasters. So the oxygen molecule jumps on that red blood cell. That red blood cell carries the oxygen molecule throughout the body, through the arteries and the veins. Then it deposits that oxygen molecule to a cell. And then the cell takes in that oxygen molecule with glucose. And then it metabolizes it or it burns it. And then the byproduct is carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the cell spits that carbon dioxide molecule out. Well, it jumps on a red blood cell, like a roller coaster ride. And then that mm. roller coaster, that red blood cell takes it back to the lung. Then in the alveoli sac, that uh, carbon dioxide molecule jumps off and then you breathe it breathe out. Breathe it out. Okay. And then you breathe in and it's just a, a 
It's a cycle. It just happens over and over and over and over. Well, you're only as good as how many red blood cells you have. Right. That sounds very dependent on your red blood cells working. Yes. And, and you having plenty of them. Yes. Okay. So that's why uh, when they say people have anemia, mm -hmm. they have low red blood cells in their body and they seem to get tired when they walk up steps or short of breath short of breath right because they don't have enough red blood cells to carry oxygen molecules throughout the body so the magic of hyperbarics is another another example that i use with my patients is that I tell them it's like if you're at a water park and you have a lazy river and the lifeguard will not let you get into that lazy river unless you're on a inner tube. And so, you know, during the summer at these water parks, there's thousands of people there. The inner tubes get all taken up. So there's all these people floating in this lazy river and then there's hundreds and hundreds of people in line waiting for the people to get out of the lazy river so they can grab that inner mm -hmm. tube, jump on it and get in. So the inner tube is the red blood cell. The inner tube is the the red blood the cell. on red blood cells. Right, okay. right. And then all of a sudden, the supervisor comes and he asks the lifeguard, hey, what are you doing? And the lifeguard's like, well, you know, these people are in line. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, people are, I'm getting complaints. And look at all these people are been standing in line for an hour. Just let them in. Just let them all in. And they're just going to have to swim and wade in that lazy river. Okay, so he starts letting everybody in and woo! they're jumping in they're jumping in and splashing and now there's thousands of people in that lazy river there's more people wandering and waiting in that lazy river than there are people on inner tubes mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. just what happened with hyperbaric oxygen therapy we compressed a person to a certain pressure and we forced the oxygen molecules into the bloodstream. So they don't need the red blood cells to carry them around through the blood vessels anymore. They can just float in, in the plasma. Yes. Anywhere plasma goes. Yeah, and the plasma... They don't need the inner tube anymore. Correct. That's fascinating. It's The plasma is kind of like the watery part of your blood, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so they... So those... those uh, oxygen molecules can swim about they're hundreds more times concentrated the oxygen in someone in a hyperbaric chamber than you and I or the people just breathing regular air right at sea level um, so the way it works then and I think this is a big big misconception is then it's simply by breathing it in yes it doesn't soak into your skin or no. or dissolve into the wound no it doesn't penetrate through it it might penetrate very very little microscopically right but the way it works is you have Simply to breathing breathe it in. it in okay so your whole body has to be inside a chamber okay because i do you know sometimes i watch nfl and you see on the sidelines and they say oh so and so's knee got hurt and they show the sidelines and he's sticking his leg in a like a little bag and it says he's getting hyperbaric oxygen on his knee so he can be fit for the next quarter is that hyperbaric oxygen no, that's not hyperbaric oxygen, unfortunately. The FDA has approved devices like that, um, so you'll see them. You, I've seen patients that with uh, like a diabetic ulcer or something, and they've stuck their foot in this plastic plexiglass box, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it has an uh, oxygen concentrator or an oxygen tank uh, piping oxygen into that box. Mm -hmm. And they call it therapy, but right now there's... The research just is not there. Um, yeah, because it, it, it takes the barrack part out of it, right? There's yes. no hyperbaric in that. Right. But so 
there's hyper oxygen in yes, there. Yes, yes, right, right. So it's topical oxygen therapy. Topical oxygen which therapy. Which is a separate thing, right. So when we talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy and what you and I do, we're talking about placing the entire patient in a chamber. Yes. Or even mul- multiple patients in a multi-chamber. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, and I love etymology, so I like to break down words. Hyper meaning over or extra. And then baric from the Greek word baros, meaning pressure. So over pressure, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yes. Okay, awesome. So that helps uh, dispel some of the the misconceptions I've heard. Um, Okay, but we're dealing with oxygen. We're dealing with a high amount of pressure. That sounds dangerous to me. (laughs) It can be, yeah. Talk to me about some of the safety measures, some of the dangers, and then the safety measures. Okay. Um, the Probably the number one danger is fire risk. Right. 100% oxygen. 100% oxygen. Now, oxygen is not flammable. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, oxygen's flammable. It's not. Oxygen is uh, needed to support, f- support the flame. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, whenever you have a grease fire in your kitchen mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, right. you, and they just say, get a lid. And smother put, it. Yeah, just right, put the right. lid on top of that pan. Mm-hmm. It's going to smother it so that fire will not get any more oxygen Ox- okay. and it'll burn out on its own. Okay, so it's necessary for uh, a flame combustion. or ignition. Combustion, right. thank you. But it, but it is not the, it's not it's the not the fuel. Degree. Right. No, okay. no. Okay. So when you have... Uh, patients get into a monoplace chamber, um, that's giving them, and, and, and I'll go into this in a little bit detail between the monoplace chamber mm-hmm. and the multiplace chamber. Mm-hmm. So when you get a patient into a monoplace chamber, they are getting pressurized with 100% oxygen. Mm-hmm. So anything that goes into the chamber has to be scrutinized. It, so there's a lot of prohibited items. There's, of course, there's no anything that it's an, an ignition source. So no cell phone, no lighter, right. nothing okay. battery powered. Okay, uh, no battery, nothing no, with a battery. No, nothing. No, no hand warmers. No, right? no hand warmers. Okay. Uh, can go in there. Nothing uh, that can produce heat or spark, spark or any type of flame. ignition. Yes, because okay. that's going in a highly mm-hmm. oxygen enriched uh, atmosphere or environment. Um, that's just a recipe for destruction. So the the fuel would be the sheets. The gown, right. the person themselves. Right, the pillows. Yeah. Yes. So uh, we have to scrutinize everybody that goes in there. So when people come into the clinic, mm-hmm. we make sure that they don't have any alcohol-based, petroleum-based products on, no makeup, no deodorants, um, anything like that, uh, cologne, aftershave, perfume, none of that stuff. So we just say, come bare, all natural. And then we have to have them change out of their mm-hmm. street clothes and put on uh, special hospital gowns that have at least 51% or more cotton fibers in the material is is the safest. Uh, man-made uh, fibers are, are iffy, so, so we don't like to have rayon or, uh, you know. Right, nylon. Nylon or right. lycra or anything Polyester. like that. Polyester. Polyester. <laughs> right. That was 1972. <laughs> okay, so that would help mitigate the fire risk. Pressure, a lot of pressure can cause safety concerns, right? It can. Barotrauma is just um, any trauma that's caused by pressure. Okay. And 
uh, the, the most susceptible part of the body to pressure is your eardrums. So if you've ever been in an airplane or you've been in the mountains mm-hmm. or even swimming, if you dive mm-hmm. down to the deep, you, you feel that pressure on your ears and you have to pop your ears, quote unquote. You have to just swallow or yawn or pop your ears to equalize the pressure. So what you're doing is uh, we have eustachian tubes that are, go from our middle ear to our throat. And when you when you stretch and you on you you open those tubes and that equalizes the pressure if not the, the pressure will just keep pushing and pushing on your on your eardrum and eventually it'll bust it'll rupture it mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen um, other types of barotrauma could be if you have a filling in your tooth uh, there might be an air bubble in there you can feel they call it a squeeze and you might mm-hmm. have a toothache and that's usually if they've had recent dental work right right recent. it's not we're not talking about old fillings no. we're talking mm-hmm. about recent oh i just had a cavity filling yesterday so right because recent dental work yeah might be a tiny air bubble in there yeah gotcha that and uh and, and if you have sinus conditions Congestion. So if you, if you go in there and uh, you, you feel stopped up, and and we've all had that where you can't where you can't hear, and you're like, oh, I got a head cold. Right, because it's all connected. Your ears with your sinuses, with your nose, and with your mouth. Yes, it, they're all connected. They're all connected, right? Yeah. And so wherever you have an air bubble inside your body that is mm-hmm. isolated, the pressure from the outside can affect that air bubble. Mm-hmm. It can it can push on it and make it smaller. It can it or when you're decompressing it it can expand and push on the tissues and that could be a problem so that's a risk so we want um you know if you're sick 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 you may not be able to dive Mm -hmm. unless you if you cannot clear your ears and when we say dive we mean have a have a hyperbaric treatment yes i have a hyperbaric treatment it's an old term because um hyperbarics is used to treat decompression sickness in scuba divers so sometimes we slip and call it a dive True. And then also, I'm sorry, we might be have been saying hyper HBO. Sometimes we shorten hyperbaric oxygen and call it HBO also. So HBO, those are little yeah. hyperbaric uh, oxygen. Colloquial terms you might hear Patrick and I say. So yes. Um okay, so fire risk, barotrauma risk. Uh what about Oxygen toxicity. Oxygen toxicity can occur because um, sometimes our body's not equipped to being 100% oxygen exposed under pressure. And this is fascinating to me. I remember learning this in in nursing school, Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that. I thought, oh, we breathe oxygen, so the more the better. Right. Right, right? Not necessarily. I remember... First, I think I learned about water toxicity. I thought, wow, how can how can someone have too much water? Right. And then I had a patient that had that. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, oxygen toxicity. There is such a thing as, as a human getting too much oxygen. Yes. Because you're right. We're not designed to have this much. So what does that look like? And then how do we mitigate that? How do we prevent that from happening? Because we're putting them in 100% oxygen. We are. Um, Let's talk about oxygen toxicity. Yeah, what's it look like? So if someone is becoming oxygen toxic, meaning having too much oxygen in their body, how can you tell as the attendant? Usually you see uh, twitching in the face. Uh, You might see them with a blank stare. Um, They might slur their words. Um, They might start to become rigid. They may say that they hear different sounds like a ringing in the ear, bells. They might see flashes of light. Um, Okay, these all sound like brain, you know, like so it it can affect the brain. Yes, it can affect the brain. Okay. And the spinal cord. 
Gotcha. So, so how do we mitigate that? Again, we're putting them in 100% oxygen under pressure. The way that we mitigate that is that we give them what's called an air break. So we put a mask inside the chamber and they breathe through a non-rebreather mask. They just breathe regular air the air that you and I are breathing right now. Okay, so the chamber itself, we're pushing 100% oxygen into. Correct. And the patient's in there. And then about, a whatever, half hour, 60 minutes, whatever, we say, okay, time for your air break now. Yes. And we have them put their own mask on, and then we turn on the medical air. Yes, we have cylinders that have mm-hmm. medical-grade air, which is 78% nitrogen, 21% mm-hmm. oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so we give that to them and we let them breathe for five to 10 minutes. And what that does is it drops the levels of oxygen in their body. It brings them down. Because what's happening is, remember how I said whenever we're breathing and uh, the, the oxygen molecule goes into the cell, it metabolizes and it and it spits out a carbon dioxide mm-hmm. right. molecule. Right, it's exchanged, yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, there's other byproducts of that um, metabolism. So there's a lot of what we call free radicals, and that's just part of the process of metabolism. Mm -hmm. And these free radicals uh, get built up in the cells, and there's a bunch of different uh, enzymes in those cells that that help break those free radicals down and keep the free radicals under control. Well, when you're flooding the body with hundreds and thousands of times more oxygen, what's going to happen? You're going to have more metabolism Mm -hmm. that goes on. So Yeah, your body has to work harder. Yes, it works harder. Okay. And so more carbon dioxide is going to be released and more free radicals can build up as a Mm -hmm. byproduct of that metabolism. And there can be at some point where the enzymes inside the cell just can't handle the free radicals, uh, macrophages, and stuff like that cannot handle the f- breaking down and controlling those free radicals. And at some point, that's when the oxygen toxicity seizure can occur. So it can lead to seizure. It can lead to seizure. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant. Okay. And so another way we mitigate that also is we limit the amount of time that they're in the chamber. Yes. And of course, that is all decided by and prescribed by the doctor. By the doctor, Depending yeah. on their, the patient's health, depending on their on a diagnosis, diagnosis, their condition, yes. which we're going to talk about next. Yes. Okay. And the amount of pressure, too. Because the more pressure that you give someone, the more you put them at risk for barotrauma and right. for oxygen toxicity seizure. True. So true. Um, in using hyperbaric oxygen as a medicine in treating, uh, usually there there's certain pressures, and they can be uh, equivalent to certain depths. So, mm-hmm. so let's say that um, I want I can replicate uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy in the ocean. So I could get someone to put on a mask and give them 100% oxygen through that mask. And if they dive in the ocean, if they go down 33 feet, that would be the equivalent to doubling the atmospheric pressure mm-hmm. on the shore. And then if they go down 45 feet, that would be two and a half times. Okay. And then if they and go... And those are the common... So commonly when we treat 
hyperbaric patients for wounds, right. we often give them double the amount of pressure or two and a half times the amount of pressure, right. up to three. Up to three. Right, okay. And uh, that's in a monoplace chamber. Usually mm-hmm. the, it, it can only go to uh, three times the pressure of, of being at sea level. Mm-hmm. Now, a multiplace chamber, that, that can go much, much deeper or, or provide more pressure. Mm-hmm. And they use those sometimes for divers, and we'll get into the, the reasons that we use hyperbaric right. medicine. Um, uh, so why don't we head into that now? So okay. why why would we use, first of all, sounds awesome. And since you're going to take all these um, risks away by your careful um, mitigation, gosh, shouldn't it just treat everything? Like, so what do we use hyperbaric oxygen for? Well, typically what we use hyperbaric oxygen for is back in the beginning, they started using hyperbaric oxygen for a, a condition called the bends. Um, and that was... That I've came heard of, of that because my dad was in the Navy. Yes. That, <laughs> right. That came from the Navy. And scientists and doctors working with what's called decompression decompression syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so um, what happened is back uh, probably in the 1800s, uh, you had divers that would dive and and they would just come up too quickly so and and in the 1800s they weren't diving for recreation they yeah. were diving to build bridges right, right. they were they were uh, it was the industrial revolution right yes. so okay shipwrecks so. and yes. stuff like that salvage yes. So there was a lot of divers that either dove with um, a diving bell. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine that they had a huge bell and Mm -hmm. they would lower that bell and and the divers would go in there, take a breath and then go back and do and work. And then they would go back and stick their head under that bell and breathe and they would do that. And then, right. So if they came up too quickly, what would happen then? Why do we call it the bends? We call it the bends because, okay, we have, I was talking about oxygen and carbon dioxide. So we metabolize those two gases. We, our bodies use them, Mm -hmm. but there's other gases called inert gases. And those inert gases are gases that our body doesn't use. It doesn't have any use for them, but we're breathing them in. Right. You mentioned all this nitrogen. Yeah. You seem to be breathing a lot of it. We're breathing a lot of nitrogen. (laughs) And um, oxygen and carbon dioxide, they kind of, they, they, they're, they're nice. They're, they play well together. They play well together. And, and humans like them. Yeah, they're kind of cousins. So <laughs> they play well together. They, you know, uh, whenever the oxygen molecule jumps off the red blood cell, he says, hey, and he kind of high fives the carbon dioxide molecule and he jumps on and, okay, I'll see you later. Kind of like the clock in, clock out kind of guys. <laughs> well, you have nitrogen come along and nitrogen isn't so nice. Uh, he can be tolerable, but he's not as nice as carbon dioxide and oxygen. So uh, remember how when we put someone under pressure, we force those molecules into the bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. Right. They're smaller and they're getting diffused yes. a lot of places. So when we start to decrease the pressure, when the when the treatment's over, we mm-hmm. start to decrease it. And we do it slowly mm-hmm. because we don't want to do it fast because if you if you do it too fast, you could... Uh, rupture someone's lung. Uh, right. You could, you could, they could bust their eardrums from the inside out. Right. You know. It, it, but so these divers in the old times, they're they're in the diving bells, yes. and then they're done. So they're like coming up real quickly. Yeah, they just or coming straight up. Yeah. So what happened to this little nitrogen bubbles in their body? Yeah. So the so the nitrogen gets infused into the bloodstream, just like the oxygen and right. the carbon dioxide. Well, as you start to decompress the 
the, the bubbles will start to form in the bloodstream. Now, oxygen and carbon dioxide don't. They wait until they get to the lungs before they form into bubbles. And it's what we call off-gassing. Mm-hmm. So they play nice. They, they will not form bubbles in the bloodstream. They wait till they get to the, to the lungs to form back into a bubble so you can breathe that those mm-hmm. bubbles out. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen, on the other hand, doesn't play that way. So once nitrogen starts to, once you um, decompress, the bubble may form in the bloodstream or in the tissues. Like it, in the joints. In the joints. Right. So yeah, wherever there's fluid. in a joint sounds really painful. And yes. So, so the patient would be bent over because of that pain. Yes. Ah, because ah, everything hurts. My knees, my back, my... Right, because... If you if, if you can imagine the joints have all this little space oh, in between yes. the joints, right? And, and there's fluid in there, mm-hmm. and that normally, yep. And and nitrogen can be saturated in there, and then if it just starts to form bubbles, it can cause the joints to bend, and that's why they called it the bends, because people would actually literally bend over; they would get into the fetal position. Sounds very painful. Yes. Yeah. So that's why they, call they called it the, it bend. the bends. They didn't know what it was back then. No, right. Right. Until research came later uh, where in in the late 1800s early 1900s especially world war ii is when doctors really started studying what's happening to these divers uh, why are they getting sick Uh, Mm -hmm. and and they would get sick uh, with neurological damage as well because of that that um, nitrogen it would form bubbles they would have strokes seizures because the bubbles you know if they form in the blood vessels then it it blocks and it occludes the blood flow especially to the brain and they would have strokes and so they started seeing why this would happen why this would happen and a man named Haldane came up with kind of some dive tables to try to um, give divers a stop so 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 you have to come up slowly you can't come up quickly right so they figured that out they figured that out well we'll 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 bring you up slower so so when you go dive uh there you have to follow what's called a dive table and if you want to play dive safely yeah so you dive down there and then you come up and then you know it'll tell you there's there'll there'll be some stops right depending on how deep how deep you are and how long you've been there exactly okay and what you're breathing right right so so you'll have to stop and then wait for a few minutes and then come up and then wait a few minutes and Mm -hmm. on and on so that can happen that's the bend so let's say a diver comes up too quick let's say Mm -hmm. there's a shark down there and the guy's 100 right because it it could happen even now i know we talk about this back in the 1800s but the bend still happens yeah the bends is was there it's here now and it'll be (laughs) in the future yeah it's because humans do human things right okay so so if somebody's down there and they get spooked with a shark Mm -hmm. and they and they have to come up too quickly they come up from a hundred feet mm. you know within a minute or two minutes mm-hmm. that that is very rapid ascent so what um, they would have to do would get that diver and put that diver into a hyperbaric chamber and compress that diver back to a hundred feet mm-hmm. of okay. seawater okay where the depth is to make those molecules to, smaller again. to make the, the, make the yeah, bubbles smaller make the bubbles smaller the the nitrogen bubbles put them back into the fluid Fluid, right and then and back into the bloodstream in the bloodstream so then they can just breathe it out yes like and then and then as you do it slowly
slowly, nitrogen would rather off-gas in the lungs, but forced, it will just form a bubble. So they bring you up slowly mm-hmm. and, and allow those bubbles to expand in, in the lungs and you breathe the and nitrogen out. Breathe it out. Yes, right. yes. Okay, okay. So it's always been a treatment for the bends and it remains a treatment for the yes. bends this day. And so that's why if you look at a, a map of hyperbaric treatment centers, you'll see them all along the coast. Yeah, all right? along the coast, it, it's yes. It's necessary um, to be near um, folks who are diving. It is. generally around There's the coast. There's a big concentration of hyperbarics in Louisiana, in New mm-hmm, Orleans, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of... Uh, drilling, offshore drilling oh, that goes yes, on. There's yes. a lot of uh, divers, professional divers mm-hmm. that work on these rigs, work on ships, on pipes. Right. And recreational. And There's recreational too. Yeah, yeah, so you'll see right. you'll see places in Mexico, in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. you'll see places all along the coast that treat that decompression sickness. Right, okay. So that that's a, a non-wound condition that, that hyperbaric oxygen therapy is used for. Um, I'm from the Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, um, gets cold up there. So I'm familiar with using it for carbon monoxide poisoning. Yes, carbon monoxide poisoning. So carbon monoxide, okay, so we were talking about the, the metabolism of a cell. It takes mm-hmm. a, a oxygen molecule and it metabolizes it. And the byproduct is carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm, right. Well, when you have a fire like... Um, Let's say you're just burning wood in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a barrel. Um, it's kind of like a cell, that fire. The fire's going to use, let's say, wood as as the fuel. It's going to use oxygen mm-hmm. for the combustion. Okay. And then so it burns the wood. So the byproduct, there's going to be carbon dioxide. So carbon is... Carbon monoxide? Yes. Yeah, so, so okay. Yes, carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide too, but mm-hmm. more carbon monoxide. So that's an incomplete combustion of of a fuel of a source Mm -hmm. so carbon monoxide is a dangerous poisonous gas it's odorless it's colorless tasteless you can't see it can't smell it um so what happens is if you start breathing carbon monoxide in it really 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 loves red blood cells it competes doesn't it yes it sure does and the red blood cell really 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 loves carbon monoxide Mm -hmm. so it'll bump off the two nice guys and Mm -hmm. here comes carbon monoxide and once it jumps onto that red blood cell it locks onto that red blood cell and it mm-hmm. won't let go. Right. It will not let go. It has go. such an affinity for it. Yeah, yes. if a red blood cell has has a choice between an oxygen molecule or a CO, it's going to choose the CO. It's going right? to choose the CO yeah. every They've time. they got a big love affair, don't they? So the more that you breathe... So that's dangerous then. So then you have CO floating through your bloodstream instead of oxygen. Yes. So what it's doing is it's choking you... Mm. from the inside mm. out. So you're breathing all this carbon monoxide or CO mm-hmm. and it's uh, kicking off all the oxygen molecules and it's it's like, you know, a, a big gang of people at the at the at the roller coaster. They get they knock off all the people and they get on the on the roller coaster and the management says, Hey guys, you gotta get off this roller coaster and they say no. We're right. Not, we're not they, they steal the roller coaster. They steal the roller coaster. <laughs> they come into your yeah. All the cars are, are all taken up by this gang. Right. And they will not and get so off. your brain isn't getting oxygen, your heart isn't getting oxygen. Yeah, that sounds really dangerous. That's, so that's why we lose so many people to carbon monoxide poisoning. Right. And I mentioned the northeast, I mentioned colder climates 
because um, you know we pull out our kerosene heaters, yes. we we uh, shut the flute or our chimney, and you know all, all this. Um, the pilot light goes out, and our or, or, you know the you know just problems yeah. with anything with um, with gases, you know, gasoline, kerosene, furnace, natural gas furnaces. Um, and if you don't have a carbon monoxide detector in your house, you, you're not going to know. And the symptoms are actually flu-like symptoms. Right. You're just you feel tired, you don't feel right, you feel achy. So what do you do? You go to bed. Right. Right? You just oh, sleep it off. You go Take to bed. Take some aspirin, go to well, bed. The problem is you're not going to wake up in the morning right. because of this colorless, odorless gas. And um, yeah, so when you're found, which is hopefully sooner rather than later, Hopefully, you can be brought directly to a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Right. And so how does uh, hyperbarics work to get the carbon monoxide out of your body? It sounds very similar to to treating the bends, to getting the nitrogen out. Yeah. So they'll put the person into a hyperbaric chamber, give them 100% oxygen, and that, number one, immediately puts oxygen molecules into the bloodstream. That's right, because because now... You don't need your red blood cells. Right, right. Awesome. Okay, so the red blood cells can have the CO for a little bit right. because we're going to put oxygen directly into plasma. Correct. Which is going to your brain, going to your heart, going to all your tissues, keeping them, keeping them vital, keeping them alive. Awesome. Right. And then eventually the the pressure will force the carbon monoxide off and the oxygen will... Yeah, the, the CO, since you're not getting a dose of carbon monoxide anymore, so right. that'll just naturally do its own pathway and when it gets off the inner tube, that's it. It's that's gone. It. And you're, you're feeding oxygen back on to the inner tubes so um so that's how to recover from that carbon yes. monoxide oh, that's fascinating that's fascinating so but how did we figure out that it helps wounds though well it helps wounds because um you have to kind of understand wounds um mo- the, the majority of the wounds that are treated by hyperbaric oxygen therapy are diabetic wounds and they're usually in the feet sometimes in the hands um what happens with diabetes is uh, it's a terrible disease, and that's where the blood sugar levels of patients with diabetes get too high. Um, and we have insulin that's released by the pancreas, and that insulin helps the cell use the glucose or blood sugar. Supposed to help regulate it, Yes, right? it regulates okay. it. So in some people, um, their insulin just doesn't work anymore. It, it They have insulin, it's just not effective. And in other people, they might not have enough. They don't ins- have enough of it. Okay. Insulin. Mm-hmm. And so if if the blood sugar levels remain high, the blood sugar level, the, the, the blood sugar in the body, in the in the bloodstream can act like, I don't know, broken glass or something, and it can scratch the insides of the arteries, and that can cause damage. And over time, the blood vessels can become hardened, they mm-hmm. can thicken, and they can become occluded by cholesterol, plaque, fat. Uh, some blood vessels can get destroyed, the smaller ones. And when the smaller blood vessels get destroyed or occluded, then the tissues that are fed by those blood vessels no longer have sufficient circulation, blood flow. And therefore, no longer sufficient oxygen. No longer sufficient oxygen, yes. So then ulcers may start to form. Uh, Right, if you accidentally scratch yourself or step on a rock or sometimes they just spontaneously happen, right? Yes, they spontaneously happen. And there's not enough. So oxygen plays a role in healing. You, You need oxygen to heal a wound? You need oxygen to heal a wound. Okay. 
So by putting someone in a hyperbaric chamber and forcing the oxygen into the bloodstream, now it's in the water part, the plasma. That's right. And it can get, wherever the, there's fluid, that oxygen can get. So sometimes it can get into the tissues where the healing needs to take place. And it can actually start to heal tissue. The body can, um, there's a process called uh, angiogenesis where blood vessels will start to form. Ooh, I lo- here's another $10 word, angiogenesis. Genesis. Okay, so angio meaning um, vessels. Vessels. Like arteries. Okay. And then genesis meaning birth or regrowth. Right. So a regrowth of blood vessels. Right. Angiogenesis. Hyperbarics does that. Hyperbarics does that. Fascinating. Yeah. So um, majority of the patients are, are treated are diabetics with diabetic wounds. And... In our center. In our center, yes, in our <laughs> and center. might be because of where we live. We live in South Texas. Um, Diabetes is very prevalent. Okay, so it, it can take oxygen to the tissues. Check. Yes. It can grow new blood vessels, yes. angiogenesis. Yes. Awesome. Check. Um, it can reduce edema, right? Right. Swelling, swelling it, of the tissues. Yes, it can reduce edema. That's, that's swelling. Awesome. Awesome. It helps. It, and it helps... Uh, with collagen formation, uh, those are... That's what our tissues are made of, our right? Tissues collagen. Are made, yes. That. Okay. It just helps the healing process in general, just just by giving the body the sufficient oxygen it needs. Right. Well, all those things would help it, yes. And it can also help some uh, white blood cells work better, right? So, so therefore, it helps antibiotics work better. Yes. So ha- sometimes we use it for certain infections um, along with the antibiotics. It's not a replacement for, right, but along right. with the antibiotic to help um, heal, uh, help um, cure that infection or reduce that infection. Right. Okay. Okay. And there's all kinds of infections. There's infections in the tissues. There's infection in the bone that Ooh. hyperbaric oxygen therapy can help. Right. Right. That's fascinating. Some infections are really bad and scary, and they need they need everything. They need surgery. Yes. They need antibiotics, and hyperbarics can help that too. Cause right. Especially if they're if they're a scary bacteria or a scary germ, and they're fast growing, and the surgeon goes in and takes out as much as he can, and then if we can supplement that with oxygen, right. And the infectious disease got doctors giving the antibiotic. Correct. Right. So so um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy use in wound care is considered adjunctive right adjunctive Adjunctive. can you explain what that means adjunctive is a support uh, to doing something so um you know if you're going to paint a house uh you it's the paintbrush and the paint that's going to do it right but how do you how do you reach the eaves on the top of the house Ah, you know we'll get you some scaffolding yeah okay so you need that hyperbaric therapy as an adjunctive to help the antibiotics and the surgery to heal Whereas in when we use hyperbaric oxygen therapy for the bends right. or for carbon monoxide poisoning, that is the primary That's treatment. That's a primary treatment, right. exactly. Right. Right. There's no. There's no uh, replacement for right. it. Like it is. It is the primary it treatment. Is for the it. primary okay. treatment for but it. But in wound care, it's considered adjunctive. Yes. It's alongside with all the other uh, principles of wound care. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Yes. Just, all right. Can so can we talk about then? So it helps diabetic wounds. Um, it can help uh, surgical wounds, right? So yes. If a, if a surgeon 
a surgery on a patient and we're worried that might not heal. Right. We can do that, right? As an adjunctive therapy to help it heal. Awesome. Um, there's also another uh, indication that it can be used for. It's uh, radionecrosis. So, radionecrosis. Okay. This is a $15 uh-oh. word. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So let me try this one. All right. Radio, meaning radiation. Correct. Right. And then necrosis from the Greek necro, meaning death. Okay, so tissue death because of radiation. Tissue death because of radiation. Radionecrosis. Very okay. well put. <laughs> so tissue death because of radiation. Okay, so these are folks that have had radiation for some reason. Yes. And, and usually on purpose, right? Usually on because purpose. Because they had a type of cancer or right. something. They had a type of cancer. So they, um, they've they been exposed to radiation. It's usually uh, many, many multiple treatments uh, mm-hmm. focused on one area of the body mm-hmm. where there was a tumor, where there was uh, cancer present. And so hopefully by by treating the cancer with the radiation, it, it kills the cancer cells. Right. Okay. So radiation is good. It can help yes. treat and or cure cancer. And it's getting better yeah. and better. Right. We are getting yes. better and better. But... but Sometimes uh, that radiation can stay in the tissues and stay in the bone in the body. Oh, it damages it. It right? damages it, yeah. yeah. And it can stay there for a long time. And then over time, it could be years and maybe 10 years, 15 years later, um, ulcers, wounds may develop because of that radiation. Right. Again, just kind of similar to diabetic wounds because either a scratch or or sometimes they just happen spontaneously. Because that tissue was damaged so many years ago from that radiation, it affects the circulation right. of it, the, the collagen yeah. of it, the collagen Unfortunately, synthesis. Unfortunately, with, with radiation, yeah, we're... The doctors are trying to to eradicate the cancer cells, but and save a life. Yeah, but they they eradicate good tissue and good cells with it. So right, because if, for example, if a patient has a cancer of a colon, right, and a doctor needs to give it radiation, they have to shoot through other tissues yes, to get to that colon, to get right? To that colon. Or say bladder cancer or prostate cancer, you have to. Sh- uh, shoot the radiation through other tissues of the body. So yes, it's getting to the tumor and killing it off, but unfortunately, all those other tissues it's going through—the bladder or the colon—it's um, damaging it. Yes, yes it's damaging it the uh, for women. Jaw, the the, the breast, the lymph, the lymph nodes, or soft tissues that it's going through to get to the breast tumor. It's damaging all those tissues it's going through. And the, the best way I can describe irradiated tissue, and I think you'll agree with me, is it, it feels like a, like a rubber chicken cutlet. Right. It's so hard to describe, but it's, it's like a, you know, normally our soft tissues, when I press my finger onto a soft tissue on my body, my forearm or something, it's soft. It presses in and it's soft. But irradiated tissue is hard. Rubbery. Almost always, yeah, rubbery. It's almost always pale. Yeah, gray. Ugh, you can always tell it's it's different tissue. Uh, just Sometimes just by looking at it, but definitely by feeling it, by right. touching it. And that's irradiated tissue. So if you get a, a scratch there or... Or anything, just rub it. Your your bra strap rubs it. Your underwear strap, whatever. Um, and, and your body goes to heal it. Uh, well, it can't. It can't heal it, right? No, because it doesn't have the circulation. It doesn't, doesn't have, the, have circulation. the collagen synthesis. No. All those things needed for healing. Tissues are damaged, and it happens over years, over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the treatment is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. They put the patient in there, and they give them high dose of oxygen to help 
supplement all those tissues to help the body heal where it was lacking in oxygen. So it would help because it takes oxygen now through plasma. It doesn't need, doesn't even need red blood cells. Right. So, so it takes the oxygen, oxygen through the plasma to that wound or that area. And then it also helps because of that angiogenesis, right? It's going to help grow new blood vessels in that area, which is what you need. Right. That's fascinating. That is awesome. Awesome. Radionecrosis can also happen in bone, right? Yes, yes. Osteoradionecrosis can happen. Oh, oste! Ooh, look at you adding another (laughs) osteoradionecrosis. Yeah, but I'm glad you're here to break the word down. I love breaking words down. My Greek's not too good. (laughs) Okay, so osteo meaning bone. Yes. And then, of course, radiation and necrosis. Okay, so, wow. And this happens occasionally, especially like in the jaw, for folks who have had tongue, throat, any kind of oral Oral cancer. thyroid cancer. Um, Yes, right. So they're shooting a radiation beam Mm -hmm. through their jaw to get to either the tongue, the base of the tongue, you know, anywhere near the mouth, neck area. In fact, we've seen them further down on the neck. But in doing so, again, it's the radiation beam is going through that bone, and it's the same thing. It's changing the tissue of the bone. Now, we don't see the bone. You and I aren't seeing the bone when no. it comes. Um, sure, surgeons might see the bone, or um, you know, maxillofacial surgeon will see the bone itself, and they describe the bone as looking different. Um, they Usually say it looks they, like... they use uh, MRI Right, Imaging right, because you can tell right on an image that it mm-hmm. looks different. The the blood supply is gone, the marrow, very little or gone. Right, it's again all that tissue is changed because of the radiation. So yes, hyperbaric oxygen therapy can help for that. It can. That's fascinating. Adjunctive therapy. Okay, so this is topical, and I we did not realize this when we were planning our first podcast, but hyperbarics is in the news right now. It is. Because, uh, you know, a celebrity, uh, Jay Leno, uh, sustained some burns um, yes. at home in his garage. So it uh, sounds like he had some, some surgery, some grafting, and they're giving him hyperbaric oxygen therapy to help him recover and heal. Right. So in all those ways we talked about, it's delivering oxygen through the plasma Through the plasma. Awesome. Directly into the tissues to help um, the tissues rebuild collagen. Awesome. Also, it helps the macrophages to break down. Yes, yes, to fight infection. Uh, Fight infection. Right, because that's the last thing he needs is an infection on top of this. It's going to help reduce any swelling, you know, swelling and edema. That's just normal after a surgery, but it'll help keep that in check. Right. So that'll be good. And it can help him grow new blood vessels with the angiogenesis. That is fascinating. And I saw on, uh, I think it was Inside Edition had a video of him in a, he must have been in a mono place because he was just laying in there himself. Okay. Okay, so mono place chamber. And I saw he had a hospital gown on. And again, you'll see that his wounds were dressed. He had the gauze on his hands and on his head and on his face because the oxygen doesn't work by sinking into the wound, no, right? No, it doesn't. It, it works by him breathing it in. Yeah, you have in. to breathe it in. Okay. 
Yeah, it doesn't really penetrate. You have to breathe it in. Okay, okay. And then it also showed the the attendant. He was talking to the hyperbaric technologist next to him. So how how do you communicate to a patient when they're in a monoplace chamber? Do you do you use charades or what do you? You can. (laughs) We do that a lot. We use charades, but no, there's a communication board on there with a a telephone receiver. There's a speaker inside the chamber, and there's a microphone in there. So. Okay, so um, they can hear you yes. when you talk. And then uh, anytime they talk, you can hear them. You can hear them. Because there's a microphone right. on in the chamber in all the time. In the chamber, time. yeah. Okay. And you can, uh, yeah, usually the, the chambers now are designed to where you can um, hook up a TV or music that can play through those speakers while the patient is in there. And if you pick up the phone, the receiver, then it, it mutes the TV noise, the background noise, and then you can speak. So you can talk to you the can, patient. Yeah, okay. directly to the patient. And that's good. That way, like, if, if you need them to put on a mask for their air break, right. like we talked about, you can directly you talk can tell to them. them. Okay. If they're feeling hot or cold, right. they can let you know because there are some adjustments you can usually make, right? Yeah, there's a flow rate that you can either uh, speed up the, the oxygen that's flowing into the chamber or you can slow it down. Okay. And... Um, it's kind of like on an airplane when you overhead the you have the little vents, the air conditioner vents. Oh right, over. okay. There's there's a couple of vents in there like gotcha. that. Gotcha. So so TV or music. So how long is a patient in a chamber? Usually the patient is in there for an hour and a half. Uh, they've done extensive studies throughout the years. Um, by putting people in there for many hours, days, of, you know, and then they've shortened it. And it just seems to be that an hour and a half is the optimal time to be in a chamber. Because remember, we talked about risks. Right. And you don't want the risks to outweigh the reward. Right. So you don't want oxygen toxicity. You don't want oxygen Just to- for the sake of healing a wound. Like exactly. You want, you want both. You want wound healing or, or graft healing or, you know, whatever. Um uh, you want that, but you also don't want to have a seizure because right, you have exactly. oxygen toxicity. Okay, okay. So it's a careful balance. Right. And again, the physician prescribes that um, or the provider, yes, the provider. would tell us and exactly the, how long yes. to give the treatment and how deep, so to speak, how much pressure to put on. Right, how much okay. pressure to Whether put it's on them. twice as much pressure or two and a half times and a half or times. three times as much pressure. Right. Okay. And, and I'm speaking of healing wounds. So mm-hmm. an hour and a half is the optimal time for wound healing Mm -hmm. now carbon monoxide poisoning is there may be different very different very different i guess it depends on how much exposure to carbon monoxide someone yeah it's going to depend on their serum co level for sure exactly yeah and also uh decompression sickness also it Mm -hmm. depends on yes how deep the diver was and what they were breathing um, how fast they came up and it, right. that that's variable so and and also for 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 the bends and for co poisoning it's very often multiple treatments per day right it's multiple because it's you know the 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 goal is to get that nitrogen out of them or get that carbon monoxide out of Correct. them. So you do it two or three times a day um, for a very short time, though. Like they only need it for right. a day or two, two or again, depending on right. how much they had in them and how quickly they can recover. Whereas for wound healing, we're looking at a lot longer course, right? And what's the typical, how, 
how often do they come? Is it once a day? Is it's it three times a, a week? Or how often does a wound care patient generally attend? A wound care patient generally attends once a day for an hour and a half and it's every day um typically in a wound care center outpatient wound care center it would be a monday through friday um okay five days a week five days a week okay and it's usually 20 treatments a minimum of 20 treatments to heal a wound sometimes about four weeks yeah it's about four weeks that's a lot yeah big commitment and it and it can be extended to six weeks so just depends on the person on on how well they're responding Mm -hmm. um some people heal in less time than the four weeks right everybody's everybody's different different. Uh, it's individualized right yeah so if they heal faster they can we'll we'll stop the treatment right you can stop the treatment if if it's taken them longer we might consider extending it yes um it sounds like, though, for like the, the radionecrosis, it sounds like because of all the tissue damage done by that radiation, it sounds like it would take longer, though, than, than just does. four weeks, yeah. right? It, it usually takes about two months for eight, them. Yeah, yeah eight about weeks. eight, up to 12 weeks for yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Uh, that'll make sense. So let's talk about billing. Let's talk about charges. charges. Does insurance pay for this? Gosh, I hope so. Yes, it, it does. It sounds expensive. It, it is expensive. <laughs> and a lot of hyperbaric centers would be out of business if insurance didn't pay ooh, for it. Ooh, good but point. But there's a catch. Uh-oh. There's only uh, certain illnesses or diagnoses that are covered mm. at this time. So that would be... Um, for diabetic foot ulcers, and there's some stipulations there mm-hmm. uh, for the radionecrosis. Okay. Um, and there's other conditions that may not be covered, like multiple sclerosis, mm. um, of course, seizures, things like that, that, that are not approved as of yet. So um, it just you just have to check with your, your insurance carrier to see what is approved and what's not approved. Right, because um, Medicare or CMS, right. um, those are the indications we're talking about. That's the indication we're Because about. very often, you know, here in the United States, CMS sets their guidelines, and then very often, you know, private insurances fo- simply follow those guidelines. You know, why, why, you know, rewrite the rules, right? But... But some private companies decide differently, yeah. and, and they will cover a certain diagnosis or indication, whereas whereas um, Medicare, Medicare or CMS won't. Yeah. So it's we don't know until we ask that that person's insurance company with their plan, right? Right, because of course the insurance plans differ too, right? They do. So if you have plan A versus plan C, one might be covered and one might not. That's that's it can get um, complicated. It sure it sure can. Um, if a patient doesn't have insurance or the insurance doesn't cover a hyperbaric oxygen therapy and they want to do it, how much would it cost just cash? Can I just pay cash? You can, and that depends on the hospital. Mm. How much the hospital is going to charge you depends on that hospital. So you would have to um, broker a deal with the hospital but okay it, and that's if this if the hyperbaric center is linked to a hospital that's if, which not all of them are not some all of them, them are, are um standalone yeah and so then you would just obviously deal with the the bosses or the the doctor the standalone the, co- the, yeah yeah the company that's running that okay. unit that center um yeah and, and some i know some centers take you know like care credit you know they take credit cards and so it it, it really does vary 
Um, so you mentioned multiple sclerosis. Um, so there are other diseases and conditions that hyperbaric oxygen therapy is um, um, being researched on yes. and being used for. I know I've seen headlines that that local you know military places are are trying it out for PTSD for our troops. You know, so so there are other things. Uh, that hyperbaric oxygen therapy might help. And fortunately, there's researchers out there researching it, right? Right. So um, hope, maybe, hopefully coming down the pike, we'll, we'll see more covered indications, right? Right. And right now, um, cancer is not an approved therapy mm-hmm. through Medicare, but there is research going on um, in the effects of trying to help uh, cure cancer or, or put it into remission. That so. would be awesome. Yeah, because some some cancers, uh, certain certain kind of cancers, don't like um, oxygen. No. They die off in an oxygen environment. So right. it just makes sense that hyperbaric oxygen therapy might be beneficial for that type of cancer. Again, not all cancers, but for you know that type of cancer. That's fascinating. So there's research being done on that. Yes, and. Um... You know, who, who knows? Uh, there may be through research that that um, they do find out that that uh, hyperbarics does treat more than, than what it's been treating because, you know, this research has started in the 1800s and, and here we are 150 some odd years later and the research is going on. So Yeah, yeah but, but we still only have, what, like 13 indications right. that... That Medicare will pay for or anyway. Medicare will pay for. Uh, it's not a, it's not a glamorous therapy. So it's not. Um, and up till um, a week ago, there weren't very many celebrities out there no. that had a problem that needed it. So I'll be honest. There's not a lot of money being thrown into hyperbaric oxygen research. Uh, of course, with more press, with more um, uh, education, and and. Uh, you know, just getting the word out. Maybe, maybe more research can be done. Yes. You know, more, more money thrown um, their way, so that more research can be done, so that it can help folks. I've heard about it being researched for cerebral palsy, stroke patients, um, cancer, right. like you mentioned, PTSD, multiple sclerosis. I mean, you name it. Um, uh, it's. Um, it's certainly been thought of, right. if not certainly being researched right now. And you have to be careful with hyperbarics because um, there's a lot of what's called off-label. Uh, you were talking about a standalone clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these are clinics that are either in a building by themselves or they're in a strip mall. Uh, they can be using any type of hyperbaric chamber. Uh, sometimes there's these uh, inflatable zipper bags that mm-hmm. people get into, and even though the FDA has approved them, um, the the evidence just doesn't show that that it can deliver the the amount of pressure that a solid hyperbaric chamber can. Right, Be- because the FDA has approved these inflatable devices for altitude sickness only. Correct. Al- with use of air. Right. It it has not approved them to be used with oxygen running through them. Right. But unfortunately, folks are they're trying to be their own mad scientist and say, oh, I have the, the hyperbaric with the, with the pressure, and I think I'll just hook up oxygen to it, and I can do what I heard doctors are doing. And 
And that can get a little dangerous, right? Right, right. Very dangerous, It yes. can. And um, it, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is, it's a highly regulated industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of laws. Uh, you, you, we follow all kinds of laws. Mm-hmm. Uh because, because you and I work in a wound clinic that is attached to a hospital. Correct. So we are uh, under the auspices of all the government regulators, um, and we are certified by the Undersea Hyperbaric Medical Society, right. HMS. So we follow all these uh, rules and regulations, and we do, because we're hospital-based, we do only treat the indications that, um, again, that CMS or Medicare has uh, approved. Um, so we, in our wound clinic, don't do um, off-label, and we don't do research right. um, in, in our wound clinic. So, um, but yes, there are uh, private standalone clinics that do do off-label. But I think what you're getting at is 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 be careful. Be careful. Make yeah. sure they're they're following safe practices. I I would hope that they follow all the safe guidelines that the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society. Uh, puts out. Yeah, there's also the National Fire Protection Association. Ooh, the NFPA. Yes, that um, you know when you're dealing with oxygen, it's it's risky. So or any gas, any really. Gases, so the yeah. NFPA has a lot of safety guidelines for how to deal with gas, gas cylinders, gas piping, all of that. Right. All of that. So just do your homework. Um, there has to be a licensed physician on-site at all times mm-hmm. when hyperbaric oxygen therapy is being administered. And um, you just you just have to ask questions. And if your right. spidey because senses... Because, again, the, the risks yes. are so high. Right. A, a patient could get uh, injured yeah. in a hyperbaric they chamber. They get killed. So it's important to have trained staff, highly trained staff. Yes. Um, we are required to have a safety director. Yes. So we have a safety director at our facility. We follow all the safety guidelines. Um, we have to go to classes, continuing education. Right, right. Um, but it's more than just the patients that can get hurt. It's it's the attendants. It's yeah. our staff, too, staff right? Can get because hurt. If, if a fire happens or, God forbid, an explosion or yes. something, we're all at risk, right? right? So there's a, there's a lot of safety involved with hyperbaric right. oxygen therapy. So, um, so that's why you just don't see hyperbaric chambers in people's houses. It's... It's, I would hope not. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly, certainly, certainly can help, and it and it's good. But but it, sometimes it can't be the cure all. Or right, it's not a panacea. Right. It doesn't cure everything. Um, like anything in medicine. Exactly. There's no there's no 100 percent guarantee. It, we do not have 100 percent healing rate right. with our hyperbaric oxygen uh, therapy. It helps a lot of people. It does. It does not help all of them. No. It's like anything in medicine. Um, I remember seeing a photo of Michael Jackson in a chamber, right? Right. <laughs> so I think he was, at the time, he was touring a, a burn clinic. Um, and they... They I, put him in there. Yeah, he either photo said, oh, I want to see what it's like. Or, yeah. or they offered, you want to see what it's like. So they put him in the chamber. And I always thought it was funny because he's in there, of course, in his full Michael Jackson regalia. He's yes. got his glove on and his jacket sequin jacket. And, and <laughs> talk about all the whew, fire risks and... <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So uh, there's a couple of fun facts about hyperbarics. Ooh, awesome. I um, love fun facts. When do you think the first hyperbaric chamber was invented? Well, I would I would say in the 20th century, 
right? Because it seems so newish, like, I'd say in the 1900s. Nope. What? No. When? It was, it was in the 1600s. What? Yes. It was in the 1600s. Oh, my god! By an English physician that built the first hyperbaric chamber. And it was called the domicilium. Let's see, yeah, 1662. Oh, I so, love it. Oh, yeah. my god. It's been around for a long time. Um, it was just a big metal container that was built, and it was pressurized uh, by using bellows. They used big, huge bellows. Oh, my god! I guess they just wanted to see what it would be like to compress someone or compress air in this thing. Okay, so they were using air. Yeah, they're they were just using, using be- air. Like, so yeah, bellows. They're just, okay. Yeah, and so that was... Well, they wouldn't even know the difference. Yeah, because... They wouldn't even know about oxygen right. back in the 1600s. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's been around for a long time, but only kind of in the modern era in the right. 40s and in the 50s is when the research for uh, healing started. Right. So. Right. Okay. One of my favorite hyperbaric researches was done, uh, I think, in the 1960s by Dr. Berme. Uh-huh. Okay, and can I explain this a little yeah, bit? Yeah, go I lo- ahead. I love this one. Okay, so trigger warning, I am going to discuss some uh, animal research. So if you don't care to hear about that, go ahead and skip ahead about two minutes. Um, but yeah, I think this was in the 1960s. Oh, I should have done better research. Um, or 50s, maybe? It was in 1959. Close enough. All right, I was a year off, 1959. Uh, Dr. Baramea. And so what he did was he put some pigs again animal research he put some pigs in a hyperbaric chamber um and compressed it of course and they're fine they're just all squeaking and happy um but he wanted to prove um that it worked because of the red blood cells so he hooked them up to machines that um kind of like a dialysis machine or a plasma machine that took out their red blood cells so he took out their Uh, red blood cells gave the plasma back to them you know just kind of spun it back into them so the pigs um, stayed alive they're perfectly fine so these pigs he took out almost all of their red blood cells and they were squealing and happy and fine without red blood cells that's crazy that's like it just blows my mind he took the lifeblood out of them literally Mm -hmm. yes yes because we all need red blood cells to live we talked about that we talked about anemia and how tired you feel and how short of breath but no these pigs were squealing like like they're in mud they're happy as pigs in mud right so he proved that hyperbaric oxygen therapy works without red blood cells right it works simply by by diffusing lots of oxygen into your plasma and you can be happy as a pig in mud in a chamber now, the sad part is that when they, um, you know, took them out of the uh, compression chamber, the pigs died, of course, because they had no red blood cells. And so they essentially um, suffocated. So that's the sad part. But again, that's um, so Burmese pigs. It's, his study was called Life Without Blood. And that's how we helped figure out how hyperbaric oxygen works. I think it's fascinating. I love that. <laughs> cool. So, wow, we've talked a lot about physics, biochemistry, history. Oh, my gosh. Right? Big words. Yes, big time. We learned new words today. Angiogenesis, radionecrosis, osteoradionecrosis, hyperbaric. We learned a lot of $10 words. Right. So, how did you get into 
hyperbarics? Like, what did you grow up think? I want to be a hyperbaric tech when I grow up. Not at all. How did you get all. into it? I had no idea about hyperbarics. Um, you know, I went through nursing school. I became a nurse. I was out in the field. I was doing home health nursing. I worked at a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess I was, I had been a nurse for probably about, 11 years so let me stop you there so when you do you remember and we're going to go a little way back when you were in nursing school did you learn about hyperbaric oxygen therapy i did not learn about oxygen hyperbaric oxygen and mind you i'm going to go ahead and date us we went to nursing school in the 90s yes yes all right all right so that's all right so you didn't learn about it in nursing school and uh, you know became a nurse i became 11 years later yeah about 11 12 years later Mm -hmm. i got burned out I just, I wanted to do something else. I just didn't want to be a nurse anymore. Okay. Well, that's, so, and that, and that's topical because yes, that's happening right now to yes. a lot of us. Okay. All right. So you're feeling the burnout. Yeah. I got, I got burned out in nursing. So I uh, jumped to DME. So I started. DME. D- durable medical equipment. D- oh, oh, okay. So. Uh, okay. So you're going to sell things. Sell now. things. Oh, like, well, that's a jump. Yes. Okay. That's a jump. So, um. The company that I went to work for, they put me uh, selling diabetic shoes Okay. to diabetics. All so, right. Well, that's not I, a big jump then. Okay. So yeah. from being a nurse to selling diabetic shoes. Right. So um, because I of my nursing experience yeah, with, right. with diabetics. So, um, so I started going, uh, calling on doctor's offices and mm-hmm. other clinics and senior centers and talking right. with people about diabetic shoes, inserts, custom diabetic stuff. So um, I happened to run into someone. I was at lunch, and I ran into someone, and I, I thought he was a physician. He just, just looked like a doctor. So I just mm-hmm. approached him, and, you know, when you're in sales, you have to talk to everybody. <laughs> right. So I could I st- never be in sales. Right. So I, so I started talking to him in line, and, and um, he, he said, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm a hyperbaric tech. And I was like, hyperbaric tech what's that Mm -hmm. and so he started saying well yeah yeah we work at i work at a wound care center and you know we have some chambers and i was like he's like yeah you ought to come by our clinic and he gave me his card Mm -hmm. and said yeah you need to come by and and uh, meet the director and i said oh okay sure and so another great place to sell your shoes right right? that's exactly what i was thinking like here i'm getting my foot in the door in in a in a wound care center where there's diabetic wounds and people need that's low-hanging fruit right there low-hanging fruit so um a couple of days later i you know went into this clinic and uh i i saw him the tech and he uh agreed in me and introduced me to the director mm-hmm. and lo and behold i walked through the hbo unit oh and oh, i saw so you got to see i got chambers. to see chambers okay for the first time mm-hmm. and i never really seen a hyperbaric chamber before mm-hmm. and there was like three of them with patients in them and i was just flabbergasted i was like wow that is so cool what are those what are they doing to those patients? Right. So when I, I went into the director's office, sat down, talked with him, you know, gave him my whole diabetic spiel. Right. With, with yeah. The, You're still on the, yeah. the selling. Yeah. And then I put everything back in the briefcase and, and I said, um, you know, by the way, uh, are you guys hiring? Oh my God. 
and uh weird flex but okay yes right <laughs> like my burnout went went away real quick right and uh he said no not at the moment but you know feel free to leave your uh your you could fill out an application or leave your resume mm-hmm. you know we'll get back to you okay. so that kind of piqued my interest and really up until then i had very little wound care experience so oh okay so saline gauze right wet to dry a wrap wet <laughs> right. to dry that was it right. you know maybe okay. an antibiotic ointment right right and that was it that was advanced wound care to that you. was advanced <laughs> wound care to and so i went back to home health nursing and then about a year later i got a call hey are you still interested in working wound oh, wow. care? I said, I sure am. Oh, wow. When can I be there? Wow. And so I went to work. Uh, I was there for about a week. And then this redhead walks in the door. <laughs> Watch out for those redheads. <laughs> and uh, So that's when we met. Yeah. And the rest is history. The rest is history. It's <laughs> fascinating. Oh, my gosh. So my, how I got into it was I was, um, similar story, uh, you know, been a nurse over a decade and, uh, done everything just like you. I was, a, was a nurse aide. I was a, um, worked in a nursing home, um, assistant DON of that nursing home. And then I switched courses. I went and worked in a hospital, but, and I loved it. It was a, uh, ortho neuro trauma floor. I loved it. It was fascinating. Wow. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Um, But it was second shift. It was 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Oh, nice. And as you know, I'm a single mom. And that's rough. Um, It's rough if you're not a mom, but it's really rough (laughs) if you're a single mom and you're trying to handle the child care and school and all that. How can you do that? So I'll be honest, the the way I got into wound care and then, of course, hyperbarics was because I wanted a daylight job. <laughs> I just wanted a daylight shift. So this uh, position opened up in the hospital, and it was for the wound uh, ostomy hyperbaric team. And I applied for it. I had, I didn't think I'd get it. I, I hadn't been, I think I'd been at the hospital a year. I wasn't, I didn't have seniority at all. I did not think I'd get it. I went down to interview. And I did have wound care experience because of my experience in the nursing home. A lot of wound care experience, a lot of ostomy experience, and um, and willing to learn about the yeah, hyperbarics. Right. So yeah, so that's I got my daylight job, yay! Yay! And started to learn about the hyperbarics, um, and then um, moved that here to you Texas. In. Oh yeah, again, just fascinating for me. It's it's seeing a patient come with a really horrible wound. That even now I think, oh my gosh, how is this going to heal? And then watching the progression and the healing and the just the whole course, and and then helping that he- patient heal their wound. It's so rewarding. It is me. rewarding. It's amazing. But there's a lot of training involved with hyperbarics, right? So we had initially we had a 40-hour course, right? That was required, and then let me think. I. I think I had to work in it a year, right, before I could even test, right? You have to work yeah, in it so, to... so many hours, right? right? Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, you go and take this big 
national certifying test and exam and you pray you pass and then you pass but to maintain that certification then you and i we have to get um continued education every couple of years so many credits so many credits or so many hours worth and um and some of those credits they they have to be directly related with hyperbarics specifically in hyperbarics yeah yeah you can't just go take a you know geriatric course here and there and Right. No, it's right. got to be um, an approved course. Right. Which is which is cool because hyperbarics is always changing, like anything in medicine. Yes, it right. Is. We learn how to do it better, more efficient, more safely. All that, all right. the adjectives. You know, it's it's constantly improving. It is. And so by doing our continuing education, we're we're learning that we're learning how to improve, do it better, more efficiently, more comfortably. Um, better healing rates, all that. We keep learning and learning and learning about it. Never stop learning, right? Right. That's fascinating. All right, sources. What sources um, did you use for today's information? Um, I used the National Institute of Health in IH.gov that has a lot, a lot of good, good resources on hyperbaric medicine. That's a great site. And I do like that the NIH.gov, it's it's written for, for lay people. It's you can read you don't need to be a nurse or a doctor to read that website. It's uh, it's very well written and um, it explains about the history of hyperbarics, the uses of it, and uh, and a lot just like we talked about today. Right. Uh, um, any other sources? Um, and tied in with the with the nih.gov uh, is also the National Library of Medicine. Okay. And you can click, you know, if you go to the National Institute of Health, um, you can click on the National Library of Medicines, and they have a lot of different uh, studies and reports that okay. they put out. Okay. If you like to read that kind of thing, yeah. awesome. The National Center for Biotechnology Information is also embedded in, in the National Institute of Health. Okay. So, that is good. Uh, also, mayoclinic.org. Yes, I love this. Now, talking about resources. So this is what um, pay, good for patients to read or their loved ones or visitors. When um, And I use it for a lot more than just hyperbaric oxygen. But when I tell a patient to search somewhere online, I often use mayoclinic.org. All of these big hospitals, mayoclinic.org. Um, Johns Hopkins, HopkinsMedicine.org, uh, Cleveland Clinic. They've got great education on their websites. And they're, they're researched. They're established. These are science-based. Um, they're not trying to sell you anything, right? No. This is, this is science, science just giving you information. Published papers yes. are on their... Uh, yes, science-based evidence. Awesome. FDA.gov. That's a good one. Food and Drug Administration, because uh, we're regulated under the FDA, so... Right, well, we're using oxygen as a drug, right? right? So, yeah, we fall under the FDA auspices. Um, yeah, that's a great site, fda.gov. Great. Um, okay. All right, we're going to wrap up here. One last question. If there was a movie... All right, we're going to make a movie about you, Patrick Eskimia. If there's a movie about you, which celebrity would you like to play you? Ooh, I would think uh, I think Harrison Ford. Oh, that's awesome. I would love that. Yeah. That's great. He's got the the gravitas, the the wisdom. The, oh, right? I love it. And, I love uh, it. And he and like you, he could stand there with a smirk and, you know, say something that just 
would just make you fall down laughing. Right. That's awesome. That's perfect. The hat, the whip, and the gun. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. All right. Thank you so much for coming on my first podcast. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yay. (laughs) All right. Cool. Folks, this podcast was recorded in San Antonio, Texas in November of 2022. It was developed, edited, and written by yours truly, Wound Care Karen. And I did it all while wearing a comfortable pair of shoes. The views expressed here belong to me and my guest and not our employers or affiliates. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give me a five-star review. If you have ideas for future podcast content, please drop me a line at contact at woundcarekaren.com or message me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm Wound Care Karen, and please remember, folks, time does not heal all wounds. So if that happens to you, please seek help from a wound care professional.